This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And before we get rolling, I'm going to warn you that most of my time will be spent in the first main port, uh, uh, point. So don't think that, oh boy, he's going to send, spend equal amounts of time on all three of these things. I'm not. So the second and third points are much shorter. So have no fear. Have no fear. Let us hear the word of our God. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Father, I am grateful that you still strive with humanity, that you still plead for us to turn from our rebellion and to return to you through faith in your Son, Jesus, and all that he has done to save sinners. And so plead with us this morning that we might grasp the vastness of your mercy and the greatness of, your, of our debt. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who pleads with you as the great high priest on behalf of all those for whom he died. Amen. In central Florida, 2004 was the year of the hurricane. 
it was kind of strange because in Polk County, where we lived at the time, there hadn't been a hurricane that had come through in 40 years. And in one season, three came through. In fact, those three hurricanes, the eye passed, they, they all crossed about five or ten miles away from our house. So we were like Hurricane Central that year. And both my wife and I grew up in the Northeast, and so we thought we understood hurricanes. And what we discovered that year is that we really didn't understand hurricanes. Because those that which we had seen in the Northeast were far less in strength than what we experienced in Florida. And fortunately for us, we were actually in the Northeast, in upstate New York, when Hurricane Charlie came through. So we, when we came back home, it was a shock to us to see everything that had changed and all the blue tarps that were covering all of the different roofs. And down the street from us, this big tree from a neighbor's house had been knocked down. And then when I showed up at the church, I was amazed at all of the trees that were in front of the build, that by the building on the side of the lake were just destroyed. It was like this big hand had come through and just pushed all these trees down. That week, Ivan was stirring in the Gulf. And it was odd for Amy and I to kind of experience or, or to, to watch what was going on because it was like Central Florida had shut down. About the only things open were Walmart and gas stations because there were cars lined up trying to get fuel rethinking that what happened with Charlie was about to happen to them again with Ivan. They were in fear, and Amy and I just didn't quite get it at that point in time. We're thinking, just a hurricane, okay, yeah, you know, okay, some old trees got knocked down, and it's got to be okay. Fortunately for us, Ivan just kind of sailed right up, and unfortunately for Pensacola, it hit the, the panhandle of Florida. But we were not yet spared, because there were still two hurricanes that would come that year. And it was the second one that really scared us the most in some ways because that was the one that struck in the middle of the night and Amy was pregnant with Jaden and we see water is dripping into our kitchen and we don't know the source. We don't know if the part of the roof has been removed. We don't know what's going on. And all we could do was break out a hymn book in the darkness and sing hymns as prayers. I think then we understood something about the power of the hurricanes. And so when the next year, oh no, the cone of uncertainty arose, we had fear. I tell you the story in a sense to, to kind of put perhaps you in the mindset of Noah. Okay? Because before the flood, Noah had never seen rain. And the one time he saw rain... It rained for 40 days, and it destroyed all life that was not in the ark. How is Noah going to respond when rain comes again? When he sees a storm cloud coming over the horizon, and he sees the lightning flash, and he hears the thunder roar, how is he going to respond? He was probably going to have something what we would call post-traumatic stress syndrome. Because he's probably in his mind going to flash back to almost a year in an ark with a whole bunch of animals and hearing the cries of people outside. And it is out of God's mercy that he then speaks to Noah. This passage, last week we talked about it was like a back and forth between God and Noah. This is all God, and he's going to give the covenant to set Noah's mind at ease. 
And so this is largely about the compassion and the kindness of our covenant Lord. So the big idea this morning is that God preserves humanity and creation through his covenant with Noah. And the first part of this is that God affirms the sanctity of his image. And we, we really have to understand that one little thing to understand everything else that's going on in, the, in verses 1 through 7. Because I believe every part of that is tied to the reality that, as God, it, it affirms here again, that God has made man in his image. That's the thing upon which it all hangs and f- or falls. But before we even get to that, notice that a shift takes place. Up to this point, God has been talking to Noah. And now suddenly, it's Noah and his sons. It's, it's brought in here and it's brought in later. He's no longer speaking just to Noah, but he is also speaking to his sons. And so what is being said is not just for Noah. It goes far beyond Noah. And as a result, I, I think we see, need to see this in what we find in verses 8 through 17. This is connected to his discussion of the covenant. It may precede it you know, chronologically, but it's tied with his discussion of the covenant that he's about to establish. What we discover in verses 1 through 7 really seem to be the, the blessings, the requirements, and the curses of the covenant that he is about to make with Noah. And so I gave these three things, three P words. So it's all right. And the first part of this covenant that, that affirms the sanctity of his image is propagation. He says here in, in verse 1, and he's going to repeat it again uh, in verse uh, 7. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, it's hearkening back to what we hear in Genesis 1. It, that, that idea of, of the do-over, the, of this new creation, this, this renewed world. And again, it's like, fill the earth. He empowers them to be fruitful and multiply precisely so that they may be able to fill the earth, not just with humanity, but with what humanity represents, his image. God wants the earth to once again be filled with his image. Because he loves his image. He loves, therefore, humanity. And through this, he's affirming the sanctity of human life. This kind of goes in a couple different directions uh, for us. So we can take this idea in a couple of different directions. And part of that is that because we see, basically now, it's Noah and his three sons. All of humanity is going to come from Noah and his three sons. And so, all of humanity, regardless of what race or ethnic background they come from, whatever cultural sub, subset they, they uh, represent, they are all made in God's image. They're all in His image. And so, what happens is, unfortunately, we treat people on the basis of what we have different from one another as opposed to what we have in common with one another as though those differences are far more profound than what we have in common. But what is it we, it says we have in common? The Imago Dei. The image of God. That should trump any difference we have in the color of our skin or the language we speak or the, the, the socioeconomic background we come from. 
that should be far greater than any difference we might have with one another. Because we're all found in the image of God. As I prayed in the the pastoral prayer, I'm tired of the race politics. And it's not just here. Because the race politics treat people on the basis of what's different as opposed to what's the same. And we're supposed to see, look at people and see the image of God. That's what we're supposed to see. I don't think God's pleased with how, we, with how people in every nation treat people who are differently. It's not an American thing. It's a whole world thing. The second thing that we see here, in addition to propagation, we also see provision which affirms the sanctity of his image. God says, I give you everything to eat. He's about to keep humanity alive because there's not a whole lot that's growing right now. Okay, Everything that's going to be found is going to be what's growing wild. It's not going to be anything that has been cultivated because Noah's been sitting in an ark and he has no time to cultivate anything. And even the things that are growing wild need time to grow. And so God gives them everything. Now let's think about this for a moment. When we see how humanity had filled the world with violence before the flood, we can probably safely assume that there were people who were rebellious and who may have killed and eaten animals before this point in time. But what is happening now is the shift in that God is saying, it is proper for you to do this. It is proper for you to cook steak on the grill. It's proper for you to enjoy chicken. It's proper for you to have rabbit. Okay? Uh, see, someone like the rabbit. Pork, whatever. There's no distinction here that is made between clean and unclean animals. Okay? That, that is found in the Mosaic Covenant, and it is, just for the, it is just for the Israelites. We find here that it's free. We're able to enjoy all things. If people want to be vegetarians and vegans, more power to them. But they have no theological basis to require others to be vegetarians and vegans. God has set us free here to partake of the animals that he had placed around us. And so there is provision for us here, and yet even this provision has a limit. God says, do not eat the blood. And of course, most of you are probably going, huh? It just has the idea of the raw meat, which, which still, you know, what, what happens when you cook a steak and you don't cook it well? There's still the blood in there. Don't eat the raw meat. Because life, and this is going to be, this is going to be you know, exploded when we get to the whole idea of, of sacrifice. It's the blood that contains the life. And so he's, he's marking something of the sacredness of life, the sanctity of life by prohibiting us to eat raw flesh. And you might think, okay, that's some just weird, strange... Genesis chapter 9 kind of thing. And yet, in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, we find them affirming this and saying to the Gentiles, no, you don't need to be circumcised, but here are a few things that we think you really probably should still do. And one of them would be don't eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols and don't eat meat with the blood in it. Okay, So this is something, this, this, this is part of the covenant that God has made with humanity that will stretch until the end of this age. 
propagation, provision, and the third thing that affirms the sanctity of his image is protection. And this goes in two directions. The first we see this idea that God puts fear and dread in the animals. Now, that's, that's not, well, he uses military terminology there. And so it's the idea of the fear and dread of your enemy, which is coming, the, the, the vast army that's about to descend upon your city, that you have fear and dread. That's the sort of fear and dread he puts in the animals regarding us. And that's why, generally speaking, snakes will slither away, bobcats will run away. Generally speaking, animals, unless they're tamed, will run away from people. Okay? Generally speaking. Okay? Now, animals, prior to the flood, probably may have killed people. And so now here we see you know, God is changing the equation a little bit uh, to protect humanity from these beasts. And he does this by putting this fear in their hearts. Kind of funny, we've, we've, in the last week or so, we've discovered that there's a bobcat that, that is in our neighborhood uh, joining the coyotes that are in our neighborhood. And um, my kids um, aren't sure how, what to do with this. We haven't had these kinds of things before. And so Jaden's got a couple dolls that she has in the minivan. And it started with the coyotes. And we're like, Jaden, why are you leaving your doll in the van? Watching out for the coyotes to keep us safe. And so now another doll has joined that doll. And that, that doll's task is to watch out for the bobcats to keep us safe. Ultimately, it is God who keeps us safe. And he has done this, first of all, by putting this fear and dread of humanity into the heart of the animals. Now, God also protects animals, in a sense, because we're all, we should only kill them if we're going to eat them or if we're going to protect somebody from them. So when we called Alex over to come and spray our house to get rid of the crickets, we're, you know, we're protecting ourselves. It's not like we're violating God's covenant here, you know, because they, they can bring in all kinds of diseases and also can bring in the scorpions which can sting us. So we don't want to go there. But we're not just killing things to stick something on the wall. God will require that of us, it seems, from this text. But again, he goes back to protecting us. This idea that whoever sheds the blood of man, God is going to hold accountable. And so before the flood came, what happened is the, the, the world had been filled with violence through humanity. Remember, God had, had said that Cain was to be safe even though he had killed his brother. He was not to be killed. And so what happened was that vigilantism took over and all of these great mighty men began to exploit other people, weaker people, taking what they wanted from them, and if they fought back, they'd just kill them. And so what God is saying now is he's changing the rules a little bit, and he's saying, I'm going to require blood from those who take blood, illegitimately. God is about to restrain violence through capital punishment. He's going to end this cycle of vigilantism. Now, here's sort of the thing. People still rebel. Um, one of the probably more powerful movies that's come out in the last couple of years. Has anyone ever, anyone ever seen uh, The Edge of the Spear? Or End of the Spear, rather? Okay, it's the story of the son of... Is it Steve Saint? Yeah. And Jim, Jim Elliott. 
you know, all the guys who went down to Ecuador and got killed back in the 50s. Nate Saint is the son of Steve, and he went down to, um, and actually he knew some of the people from when his mom returned and began to labor with Elizabeth Elliot amongst the people that had killed his dad. And so it's as an adult he goes back and he reconnects with some of these people and in fact knows the man who killed his father. The culture that they had was one where they lived by the end of the spear, meaning if you killed someone in my family, my family was supposed to go kill someone in your family. And then because we killed someone in your family, someone, you know, your family's going to come kill someone else in my family. And so there was this constant conflict that resulted in death within that culture. And the reason why Steve Saint and the rest of the missionaries had been killed is because someone had lied and said that they were to blame for an incident. So they, they, they were killed out of vengeance. But what happened is the gospel put an end to the spear. The return of these missionaries' wives showed them that God can put an end to the cycle of violence through his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, that became the end of the spear in that culture. They no longer practiced that vengeance that had been there for generation upon generation. So though cultures can get caught into this cycle of violence, Jesus Christ can still set them free. Ask Nicky Cruz as he came out of the, the culture of gangs and the violence that is found there. So we are his image. And as a result, life is viewed as precious in his sight unless it is made for, forfeit by murder. And that's where one of these other things comes into play. Or, or I want to ask the people who believe in, in abortion as legitimate. When does a person become in the image of God? Does it happen when they're 12? Does it happen when they're five? Does it happen three minutes after they're born? Or are they always in the image of God? And if they're always in the image of God, God will hold us accountable for those lives that are taken unrighteously. And so one of the, the most important aspects when we think about abortion is the image of God. That that baby is made in God's image. It's not something that happens over time. It is something that is conceived with. And so we see that the terms of this covenant, though they are for our good, humanity violates them left and right. Great is our guilt before the God of heaven and earth. Let's move on to the second part, verses 8 through 11. That God preserves the earth through a covenant. He's going to confirm the promise that he made in the previous chapter. He's going to make the covenant that he promised he would make in chapter 6 before the flood. Now is the time, so to speak, that God is going to make this covenant, not just with Noah, but again, and his sons. Okay? Covenants. Not something we think about a whole lot, unless you live with an HOA and there might be a covenant there. Okay, And usually it's a bad thing. I'm not really excited about HOAs. But uh, nonetheless, a covenant is 
a bond between two or more persons that are, that in this case, because they're not equal persons, one is superior to the other, is sovereignly administered by the superior. He sets the terms of the covenant. And so God is setting the terms of the covenant with Noah and with his children and then throws in this interesting phrase, in every living creature. So not only is it made with Noah and therefore all of humanity, but it's also made with all the creatures. Kind of interesting, huh? Which kind of goes back to why I talked about the creatures in the first part of this. Okay? But part of one of the realities of a, a covenant, and we're going to find this when we get to uh, Genesis 15, is that usually a covenant is made with blood. An animal is killed, and it is torn apart. And what happens is that the, the party walks between the broken animal and says, if I break this covenant, may I be like this animal. For those of you who like big words, it's a self-maledictory oath. Okay? God is invoking a covenant. He is condescending to Noah's humanity and most likely his fear in making this covenant. Because he is saying, Noah, if I destroy the, wa- the earth by flood again, may I be like this animal. May I be torn to bits. God can be torn to bits? No. Noah can trust the covenant promise of God that he will not destroy the earth by flood ever again. That he and all of the generations after him will be safe from the flood. That all of the the elements of the animal kingdom will be safe from the flood. We see here God's love not just for humanity, but his love for all that which he has made. And so what happens is this covenant with Noah preserves the earth for the covenant of grace. We talked a little bit about that last week. And in that God has a plan to to redeem people, to bring them back into relationship with Him. That though they're rebellious and though their lives are now forfeit, He's going to buy back their lives and bring them back into relationship with Him. But in order for Him to do that, He needs the time to do it. Well... Not not that he needs, but he's established it that way. He set a time in which he's going to send his son, and until that, he's going to try to maintain the stability of creation. And then he's going to continue to maintain the stability of creation until the time when his son comes again. And so this covenant with Noah goes all the way until the end of time. It is essentially a covenant of common grace, not saving grace. That distinction, for those of you who haven't heard it before, common grace is something which is common to all of humanity. It is God's kindness and goodness displayed toward them, but it does not save anybody. But it makes life a whole lot easier. We talked about that when we were looking at the creative elements of the line of Seth. Okay? God brought good things to earth through the line of wicked Seth. And so he brings good, he's going to maintain good things within creation in order that he might eventually bring saving grace to his people. And so these, these covenants, while they're not the same, they are connected to one another. But it awaits, saving grace awaits the fullness of time, as it talks about in Galatians. When the time was full, Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are lost under the law. 
And so God is creating the stability necessary for this fruition, uh, for this redemption in Christ to come to fruition. And despite man's failure to keep their end of the covenant, God continues to keep his end of the covenant. Though man violates the sanctity of life, though, though people refuse in some places of this world to propagate, we see that a lot in Europe among white people. The earth is too full. No, certain parts of it are pretty crowded, but the rest of it, there's, pretty, there's lots of space for people. Okay? Having children is good. Though we break these things, God is, is faithful and continues to keep his end of the deal, though we break ours. And so Noah and his sons can rest easy. God, who cannot lie, keeps the covenant. Verses 12 to 17, we find that God remembers mercy through the covenant sign. He places a sign in the sky. It's the bow. It can be used figuratively for a rainbow, but the idea here is it's commonly used for a battle bow or a hunting bow. And when you see a rainbow, which way is the bow facing? Up, away from the earth. That's symbolic. That God has hung his battle bow. He's no longer pointing it at earth to destroy humanity, but it rests and is pointed away. And so the wrath of God in that particular way is, is not being poured out. Okay? God is not at war with his bow at this point. He rests it. But interestingly enough, the sign is not for us, is it? He says it's for him. Why does God need a sign? <laughs> So he will see it and remember this covenant. So though he sends the rain, he will see the, the bow and he will stop the rain before it floods the earth. And I, I don't live on the east side of town. I live on the west side of town. So I'm still waiting for the rains to come. But, but some of you who live on the east side, are probably, you know, when, it, when it's pouring, you're probably, is this thing ever going to stop? Are we going to be safe here, you know? That would be the sense that, that Noah had. But he's confident that God will see the bow and keep his promise to bring an end to the rains before the rains bring an end to them. And so as one other, as I think it was John Murray, no, it was what Walkie says, instead of looking upon the sinfulness of man, God looks upon the colors of the bow and shows mercy. Knowing that, we can be grateful. Grateful that he permits more time for repentance to take place. Grateful that he withholds his full wrath from the earth. Grateful. And yet we see that, once again, sinful humanity has not only violated the covenant, but also corrupts the covenant sign as we see the bow co-opted by all kinds of groups for their own agendas. Instead of it being a sign of God's mercy, God's grace towards humanity. So through this covenant with Noah, God preserves both humanity and all of creation as he works redemption through this covenant of grace that began actually before there was time. We'll get to that someday. 
And he reveals his love and his mercy toward his image and indeed towards all of creation. And though he is faithful, we are not. But we continue to ravage creation and one another. And uh, we'll pick up with that again sort of next week as we see what happens to Noah and his three sons. Why don't we pray? Father, uh, I do thank you for the stability that you have provided by this covenant that you have made, not just with Noah, but also with us and with our children after us. As long as you withhold your wrath, you will keep this covenant. And thank you for, for your provision and your blessing. And as people here who are recipients of your saving grace, let us also seek your common grace that we might see the breaking of this covenant with Noah diminish. Help us to plead with others on your behalf. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, in whom the fullness of God dwells, and who renews all who believe in God's image. Amen.